Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the suitcase and the scribe with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside here for another edition of The Suitcase and the Scribe. Mike McKenna, I'm pleased to report you continue to move. I can't remember where you were last week when we were setting up free agency. I think you were in the Adirondacks. Now you're in Maine and you tell me that you are a short canoe ride to the ocean. I just, I think that's so cool. And it's a place you know pretty well. Yeah, I love it here in Maine. I mean, I played three seasons worth uh, with the Portland Pirates, the now defunct American Hockey League team. And I did it with three different affiliates, which I'm not sure anybody else has that record. Um, but the first time we came was 2007, eight. So it was my third year pro. And it kind of like laid the groundwork. I really fell in love with this area and thought, man, it'd be cool to play here again. And then I ended up getting another two years, thought I was going to get a third year in a row and just man, this vibe is awesome in the city in Portland, Maine. Like it's like a little Boston, but super laid back and the food's amazing and the water's right there. And like you said, like where we're staying and where we lived when I played here was right on a river that goes up and down with the tide. If I hopped in a canoe at the right time of the day, tide take me right out to the ocean. I'd be with the, uh, with the liners out there. So it's, it's cool, man. Like this is Scott, I'm kind of getting the feeling for what it's like to be able to do things in life and not just be a hockey player and have your standard one week vacation in the summer and then back to training. Like, I mean, is this something within, within media, you must've transitioned to this at some point thinking like, wow, we actually get a bit of time off in the summer. Like there's that month window. It seems like, is it true where like things really do shut down completely? Yeah. I, you know, that's, it's very true. And it, although I always felt, and, and maybe, you know, certainly COVID hasn't helped and the disruption to the schedules and stuff like, I, I like, I've often felt that it was like the off season became even more and more truncated, but there is a period of time. And I, when you, and I'm sure, you know, certainly the players get to get away and, you know, there's that decompression time and, um, but even talking to um, coaches and, and, and GMs, executives who, you know, they're still they're still on the clock. You know, lots of executives are on the clock, right? Nassim Kadri's yeah. out there. John Klingberg's out there. Nino Niederreiter. What are, you, what are you doing with what little cap space you have left? And, you know, here we are. You know, we're by the time we do the final podcast of the season next week, we're going to be, you know, the last week of July. And, and so now you're starting to think about, training camp and all those things. But there is a period in August where things sort of go dark. 
And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a nice feeling. It's a nice feeling to decompress and to, you know, just to feel that way. So I, I'm curious yeah. though, because I spent last week at the development camp in Nashville, I was doing some content for the predators and, when, you know, as a player, because it was exciting to watch them. And then you're like, wait a minute, it's the middle of July. Let's, let's not, let's not get too excited about 18, 19 year olds, even as, as good as they look as a player, when did you start to build? Like, what was your August like? Like, could you, mm-hmm. you know, when would you, when would you get back at it? Like, when did you feel, okay, whatever downtime I've had, that's enough. I need to be. I need to be doing stuff or did you ever fully get away from it? It really morphed over my career. You know, yeah. early on, I felt like there was still a lot of growth in my game, in my game that needed to happen. Yeah. And so I was on the ice at a decent amount. And of course I fell victim to the normal line of thinking that you got to stay with it. You're going to forget how to do it. If you don't, you got to skate. And I think it was counterproductive because I'd be playing in these summer leagues in the St. Louis area where it turns into nothing but two on ones and back doors. And for a goaltender, that doesn't help you. Like you fall into really bad habits. Yeah. And, you know, so I started to kind of pick and choose and I would always by, by at least middle August, start to skate a lot. And, and most of the time that was uh, with the blues, they needed goaltenders and I was a local guy available playing pro. So I would skate with them often uh, in the lead up to training camp, which was amazing. Um, but I think after one really bad year, things changed for me. I had a terrible year in Binghamton, New York. And I don't mean as like the city of or the team I played on. We all got along. We were just we were bad. We were bad. And so, um, oh, I realized this. This is how much everything blended together in my life. The, the bad year was in Albany. Okay. It was the year before Binghamton. Binghamton. We finished last two years in a row, but in different cities. That's what I was remembering. So miserable year in Albany. And straight up, Scott, I didn't think I was going to get another contract. Like, I thought I was done. And this was probably after seventh, eighth year pro. I don't know what it was, sixth, seventh. And I just went like, man, I got to get away from this gear. And I put it in the garage for three months and didn't touch it. Wow. Yeah. And I just, I went and just did other things. Like, I just went to the gym, you know, and trained and did other stuff. And I'll tell you what, man, like, I found out it really only took me about two weeks to get back into, like, my tracking and my movements, the actual goalie aspects yeah. took me about two weeks to hone in and everything else came along with it. And of course I did go and do some goalie skating, like leading up to it. And, but it refreshed me. Yeah. And I pretty much stuck to that from then on in my career that I really wouldn't get back on the ice until August at least. And I would just do other things to keep going. And, and then by August, I'd go and I'd do my specific goalie training and I would uh, continue to skate with the blues. But man, it, it saved my career in a lot of ways because it yeah. was too much. And a lot of kids just fall victim to that, Scott. So yeah. um, it's tough. And, and you're, you know, it's nice, though, when you can do it at home, like when you can train there. I feel bad for those that can't, that they don't have anywhere to go to train. Like, right. Well, you have to make it. You have to travel. You have to make arrangements. You have to travel. You have to. Did you ever do like you talk about goalie training and what, you know, whatever point in the summer? Like, did you go to like goalie, not camps? I'm trying to think because there used to be one in Wisconsin, right? I remember Brian Brian Elliott. That's that was a big to say. Would you go to like those sort of goalie gatherings? Like and like, how do you find out about that stuff? Because it strikes me as. Hey, you got to make a commitment to do it. And maybe it's important or maybe, maybe you don't want to be around other goalies. I don't know. 
Oh, so I, I love being around goalies. Goalie is still my passion. It always was. Uh, and you're fully aware of that. But I would, in the, as a kid, I just went to local goalie camps. Yeah. And that was fine, you know. But when I got to college, after I was drafted, um, that's when Mitch Korn grabbed me and he goes, you're a big man, but you can't skate. And you need to go see my friend Chris Economo in Buffalo, New York. Well, I went to see Econ and that was two weeks of hell on earth. <laughs> no pucks, just skating. Goalie skating. And I did that for, oh, it was miserable. But we also had a ton of fun. And there were some legit, really good prospects there and people that pushed me, like, you know, player goalies like Shane Connolly and Matt DiGiralmo. And like some of these guys you probably haven't heard of, but they were unbelievable youth hockey goalies and played D1 college hockey. And they could do things on this on their skates at 14 that I wasn't even touching at 1920. Yeah. And that pushed me. And um, so I'd go train with econ those, I don't know, it was four or five, six summers. We called it econ skate. Uh, and now, and then I would continue to go see him after that. And then I would just do one-on-one time with skating and shots and everything else. But um, so, yeah, I actually would go to these goalie combines, but it was, a, it was a tight group, you know, and it was a very much invite only thing, which was, which was really cool, man. Like, and econ's like, the closest of friends now I'll see him next week when I'm I travel yet again for the EK for the uh, fantasy hockey draft of a league that I'm in that centers around goaltending shockingly Scott so wait a minute you're in a pool that drafts only goaltenders I, I want in uh, I, I, I'm I'm in for all the pools so it is it's goalie heavy I'll put it that way <laughs> it's very weighted towards goaltending and everybody in it in this fantasy hockey league has ties to a person that we're all friends with that kind of mentored all of us. So <laughs> it's pretty special, man. It's the EKHL and, and we take things seriously. So, oh, yeah, job. but I mean, but, but what I've learned from it is we get to be, I get to play like manager, dude. Like, <laughs> and I mean, Scott, there's no shortage right. the managers right now around the league. Yeah. So I, you said it like, they're not done yet, are they? <laughs> well, I, uh, so let me ask you this: if you ha- if you if you were to if you could if were had to take over the role of one team right now as a GM, how would you like to be the GM of the Calgary Flames? And I, you know, I, I just I think that I think the world of Brad for living because I think he you know, I just he's got such a great personality. He's easy to deal with. He's I, I just he's a guy that. I just think is a good, honest person. And, I, you know, he's built this team. I mean, you know, how, how often did we talk in the lead up to the playoffs and down the stretch that Calgary, you know, was built the right way. And under Daryl Sutter, they had become this team that was a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. And, and yeah, they they knuckled against Edmonton in the second round. Wasn't, wasn't great for them, um, but still a really good team, well put together in a great city. And, and then Johnny Gaudreau, I mean, how, you know, talk about it a million times. And again, I still, it, I still am gobsmacked that he is a Columbus Blue Jacket. Great for Yarmo Kekalina, great for those fans. And now team elected arbitration with Matthew Kachuk, a restricted free agent. And, and now, I, you know, I talked, I've got a piece that I filed this morning. I talked to uh, an agent, a couple of executives. They, I haven't talked to anyone who believes in their heart of hearts don't worry, Matthew Kachuk is going to sign a long-term deal in Calgary. Everyone I've talked to is like, don't see it. They, they believe that the die is cast and Matthew Kachuk is going to, you know, whether it's this week or next week or, you know, however the Flames handle it, he's going to end up on a one-year deal with pending UFA status a year from now. And he's 
he's gone. And so the Flames cannot have what happened to them with Johnny Gaudreau happen twice in a row with Matthew Kachuk. I know I, I asked you a question and now I'm still talking, but it is a bit calamitous in Calgary. Do you think that's fair? Sure. I, I, I don't feel bad for general managers very often. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like that's, that's it's fair. I, I just don't man. Like it, it's a, it's a high stakes position that shit happens, you know? Yeah. Brent Tree Living did everything he could <laughs> and came up and just, you know, couldn't pull it off with Goudreau. It just like, it shows that money really isn't everything. Like you can't just throw money at people and make them stay. Like we've talked about this before. It's all about gut feeling, man. And bottom line is Goudreau just didn't want to play in Calgary any longer. And he wanted to be closer to home. That's as simple as that. And I mean, it probably surprised us that he went to Columbus, but that's, it's an hour flight away from his home, New Jersey, whatever. I, I mean, the border is real. The civil liberties available in the United States and the freedom sometimes are a little bit different and more. And when you've gone through COVID and everything else, like Scott, there's still a lingering thought to players that we that they still may end up having to go into bubbles someday, or maybe things will yeah. revert back. Like it's a real risk to be in Canada if you are American, especially. Yeah. Okay. And, and I think that this factors in with Matthew Kachuk as well. That this is an American kid from St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. This isn't Nazem Kadri from Toronto who could probably sign a ticket in Calgary and be fine with it because he's Canadian and you guys are used to it, right? Like, it's not a big deal. I think that factors into Kachuk more than anything else as well is that he, I mean, your nationality does matter. It does make you more accepting to things, right? Yeah. Like, how many Americans end up staying in Canada when they're done playing? It happens, but it's not the same extent as the other way. So I, I think the tree living's just... He's in a tough spot, man. Like he went for it last year, which he should have. That team was built. And uh, oddly enough, we thought they could play any style. We thought they'd be fast enough and they weren't fast enough. And they lost their structure and tried to play a different style than what was really their bread and butter for a lot of it. They just tried to go up and down the ice. So um, I think it's tough because, and, and we've said this all along too, and I don't want to like throw gas on the fire with it, but I always wonder if, you look at the long term and think, man, do I really want to play for Daryl a couple more years? This has been kind of tough, even though we've gotten the best out of this. Yeah. So, you know, it's just it's a tough spot for for tree living in the flames because Scott, you outlined it. Like, what are the some of the things within your piece that you that, that really came across as the difficulties for players in a Calgary or even in other Canadian or smaller markets? Yeah, it was interesting. I talked to this a longtime agent who he knows whereof he speaks and he, and he called it, you know, death by a thousand cuts. And it's, you know, it's not the same in all seven Canadian markets, but there are certain, you know, I mean, the tax rate in Canada is completely different, you know, and now it's not, it's not the same across the United States as I talked to another executive who said, well, you know, taxes are high in New York and California, but yes, and they're high in Canada and the climate for some communities. And there is a sense of remoteness. Like, I, like you know, God bless people who go to Winnipeg and want to be there and thrive mm-hmm. there. But that city's different than any other city in, in the NHL. It just it just is. And so not it's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, you do have the COVID. Uh, you have you, you just have all kinds of things. The climate in, you know, whether it's in Edmonton or Winnipeg. And, it's you know, real. It's, it, 
It's a it's a real thing. And and this agent said, you know what? And and the media. So I'm gonna ask you about that too, because you know both sides having played with, you know, have been in part of Canadian organizations and you spent a lot of time in the States, obviously. And and the media is 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 part of it, right? I mean, the the, mm-hmm. the media is different in most Canadian cities than it is in most American cities. And it's a real thing. I, this agent said to me, and he's he's like, listen. It just it just is if you can play somewhere, you know, maybe it's Nashville, maybe it's Tampa, maybe it's Dallas, you know, tax structure is different there. The media is not as demanding. So your lifestyle is different. Why wouldn't you go there? And then uh, this other executive I talked to said, I mean, there are all these different, you know, the thousand cut things. And then it, it mitigates it if you have electrifying players with whom to play. So it's a little different now with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl in Edmonton, although still Edmonton is, it's a struggle to get people to go there in some ways. Mm-hmm. Toronto with Austin Matthews, Toronto's a different city. But he's, this agent said, if you're not close to winning and you factor all that other stuff in, he said, I have a lot of Canadian clients who are like, find, find me a place to play in the States. Mm-hmm. Again, you just, you know, it's the whole package and it's, I guess the bottom line is it becomes even more difficult for even the best run organizations in Canada to achieve the ultimate success. And when we talk every single year, we talk about is this year it's been 1993. That was a long time ago that a Canadian team mm-hmm. won a Stanley cup. They had the best chance, of course, during the realignment with the Canadian division because of COVID. Um, and, you know, the Canadians got waxed by Tampa. So let me ask you this question. Is there a Canadian team you're like, no, I really think this team could win a cup in the next two, you know, two or three years, next couple of years. Do you have a Canadian team you're like, no, I would put money on them? I mean, I don't think you can count out Toronto. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, their goaltending is a whole another story right now, but there's still a chance that that could, those reclamation projects could work. Yep. Uh, and they're still a piece or two away. You know, Vancouver is a middling team. That's, you know, new regime Edmonton. Uh, Edmonton though is a team that maybe yep. they could pull this off, man. Like if, if you get consistent goaltending from Campbell, if, if you can still play that Woodcroft style, it's a little more buttoned up and still let Connor go hog wild out there. Yeah. Edmonton could, but like Calgary's going to fall off big time. I don't see them replacing what they're going to lose. Um, not really. I mean, Ottawa, who knows? Like there's just question marks, you know, yeah. these, it shows though the ebb and flow to Canadian teams can be different than some of the American clubs, at least in different markets, because it is, really difficult to get free agents. And with that being the case, it shows you how the the importance of drafting and developing from within, like if you're a Canadian team, you better bank on drafting and developing unbelievably well and getting those players until they're 28 or nine, because that's about the runway you have before they go off to greener pastures somewhere in the United States. That's just (laughs) kind of how it works, man. Yeah. So it's tough. It's not, it's not, it's not impossible, but like people, fans that get pissed off about players not wanting to come to Canada or not wanting to play in Canada, like look in the mirror. You guys are terrible to them. Like on social everywhere, like, you know, first day of training camp, Miko Koskinen comes in and he gets asked a question. Nobody wants you here. What's it feel like in the room? Like, like, Oh my God. Like, you, you know, how, how do you, you don't that? think that's happening. You don't, you don't think that's happening in, 
Nashville or Columbus or no, Dallas. it's I not happening think. there. I mean, it might happen to you in Philly, but like, yeah, it just doesn't. And those pressures, whether people like, I don't know if people realize how hard that is. Like, why would you sign up for that if you could avoid it? Right? If it's your best yeah. option, you take it. Whatever. Some people are strong-willed, you can do it. But like, look at the Jake Gardners of the world. They're just like, dude, I'm out of here. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> straight to Carolina. Everything's good. Let me get out and thrive. Freddie Anderson, same way. Like, yeah, it's, so, and, and I hate that because I love Canada, man, but that's just reality. I, so I'm curious, you know, I mean, time, no, it wasn't, you didn't spend an, uh, you know, a long chunk of time uh, with Canadian organizations, but when you were there, because Ottawa and Vancouver, right? Do I have that right now? Yeah. Um, well, uh, you yeah, know, Vancouver for two days, but Ottawa, yeah, for okay. almost half a season. <laughs> you, you didn't probably get the two day effect, but did, I, did you get yeah. even, you know, in those, it, 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 given your experiences and, and whether you were with Canadian team or just around because you saw it happen, it, I, like how different is it if you are playing in a Canadian market, then, you know, let's talk, you know, Jersey or Dallas or Tampa and places, that, Columbus, places that you also know noticeably different you know i mean i went to canadian tire because i had a flat on the back of my pathfinder and it was like clear the runway because this guy needs it fixed you know and i had never met anybody in there uh, and i was like no dude i can wait here just like everybody else it's no problem like you just you can't go anywhere you know yeah. you are noticed you are noticeable you're a public figure you have to be on at all times you can't yeah let yourself down your guard down at all and some people are fine with that I actually really enjoyed it like I really liked playing in Ottawa like I mean well we didn't what fans we had in the building but there were more fans that watched they weren't willing to come to the building but able to watch and I love the passion I love that everybody seems invested but what comes with that also is a whole lot of armchair arm you know the armchair quarterbacking because everybody Canadian folks to me, your everyday Canadian that doesn't really know that much about hockey looks down upon Americans of not knowing hockey. Yeah. Your everyday Canadian, right? That's just a casual fan. It's by birthright, you know more about hockey. And that's it's really not DNA. true. Yeah. Right. And that can go both ways, dude. Like we're like that with baseball or football. It's the same thing. And from American standpoint, um, but that can come across kind of tough for for players in some play. I mean, I don't know. I just, I thought it was fun playing there because it's the birthplace of hockey to me. It's the home of hockey. It's just, it was a, it was a fun environment, but I think if I had my choice for something, it'd be tough, especially as a goalie. Like, man, I never had to make those hard decisions. (laughs) It wasn't good enough. So I have, I want to ask a question before we move on, talk about some other free agents and stuff. So Hmm. one of the things that, you know, the interesting part, Toronto, this agent I talked to said, you know, in some ways, Toronto's somewhat immune, huge city. You know, it's one of the greats. You know, it's anyway, it's, it's Toronto. But two years from now, Austin Matthews, he's go, uh, under contract through 2023-24. And like never, I mean, as big and as important as Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Chuck are to Calgary and you know we've talked for months and months about JT Miller in Vancouver who seems destined mm-hmm. to return to the states and either the east or the south can you imagine what happens if Austin Matthews says I can stay but I'm going to need 20 percent that's what this agent said to me he said he says I think he goes 
but in part because he may be looking for that 20%, which is the maximum of the salary cap that any one player can command. And I, I, can you, do you realize I didn't even know that was a rule? I didn't even know there was a 20% rule. Yeah. And uh, well, no one gets to it because of the cap. Right. So, but I, I'm curious because I'm, I know the fans in Toronto and the media there will, they'll handle this very, you know, very casually. Okay. It's your decision. No, I don't think that. I think they'll handle it very poorly. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I just, I'm fascinated because that's the real, you know, again, the, the point of this is, no one wants to stay in Canada. Brady Kachuk is he's signed a long-term deal in Ottawa, right? So maybe yes, not changes his mind. I don't know. Well, and but, there's a team that's locking people up in Ottawa, man. They've uh, that's done a the good truth. job of that. They now yeah. have young talent that's committing. Josh yeah. Norris, Thomas Shabbat, so Brady Kachuk, maybe they're, they're, maybe they're the anti-Canadian team in the Canadian maybe. capital. But anyway, can yeah. you imagine what happens oh. if Austin Matthews, as is his right, says, I'm not locking down here which would then force the Leafs to look at trading him sometime during the, you know, a year from now, right. Heading into his contract. Uh, just imagine what that would be like. That'd be seismic. That would really, you know, Johnny Gaudreau is one hell of a hockey player. Yeah. And I mean, a top 10 player in the league, a top, you know, 15 player consistently with a mega year this year that put him into the MVB talks. For sure. But He's not Austin Matthews, right? Like this is a generational talent and goal scorer and our trophy winner. This test, that's right, and sixty goals. Like, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion he goes to Arizona. Okay, like everybody thinks, because just look at Gaudreau, he ended up in Columbus, you know. But I do think things are a little different for Austin. True, and I will say this though, man. Like winning still does matter, and that team in Toronto. It yeah. is still really solid, and they should be solid. If he wins a cup, if they go deep, it really helps to me. It helps to cement a bit because, like you said, Toronto still is that major metropolitan area. It's a sexy city. It's got everything you could ever want. It's never been a place that really Americans have shied away from, it seems like, in terms of mm-hmm. you know, in terms of, of dollars or perception. It's really just like whether you want to play there or not, <laughs> you know, well, you know, John Tavares so, makes that, you know, Tavares makes the choice and goes, you yeah, know, yeah. as a, it's still desirable hundred yeah. you know, percent. It's still the Leafs. And, but I don't know, man, I, I could easily see Matthews going and then there's always that cascade effect because you need the big player to believe in. And that's what everybody in Calgary is afraid of. Okay. Well, control went, geez, Kachuk must be going now. Yeah. But in reality, it freed up a lot of, freed up a lot of cap space. So maybe they can't keep Kachuk, but it's just yeah. always about money here. It's what we find, you know? Um, all right, we're going to take a brief break here, as always, to remind people, our listeners, that DoorDash is the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of podcasts, restaurants, and more delivered right to your door. Are you doing any, like, do you do DoorDash on vacation? Like, will you, can you get a DoorDash to your uh, riverfront retreat in Maine, or do you do that? You know, on this trip, Scott, as loyal as I am to DoorDash, it didn't need to happen. I've been surrounded by good food the whole time I've gotten here. And, and yes, I've eaten shockingly lobster. So yeah, it, it is available. I looked at the app the one night cause I thought we were in a pinch and then it turned out there was a seafood shack right down the street that was able to help us out. So, so yeah, it was good. 
Good. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. All right, so here we are. A week ago, you and I were chatting. Uh, I was in Nashville. We did the show, the free agent show. It was it was outstanding. It was a ton of fun. Um, are you I, I, like a week later? Do you feel a bit wrung out? Like when you think, I, are you surprised that we're still waiting on Nazem Kadri? Are you surprised that we're still waiting waiting on John Klingberg? Or is this? You know, I mean, it seems like every summer there's one or two that just sort of outliers. Maybe they, they're so zen about their futures. It's okay if they wait. To, you know, I mean, obviously the fear is if you don't get in in the first hour or two, uh, uh, you know, as a, you know, it was a week ago on Wednesday, usually it's July 1st, that, some, that the money runs out because there's a finite amount of it. But maybe maybe guys like Kadri and John Klingberg are like, I'll just wait and figure something out. We'll see what happens. That would be my first question to the player and the agent. And I don't know if you would get an honest answer. The question would be, was this stall tactic intentional? Yeah. And I doubt you'd ever get the real answer on this. Because if you're stalling on purpose, that would be surprising. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they are. Maybe they're trying to play cleanup and you get teams that are desperate that have a bit of space. But like... I don't know, man. I I thought Kadri would be a first day bidding more gone. Yeah. And Klingberg, everybody needs a right shot D and he'd fit great in all these places. Well, those places, those doors start to close very quickly. Yeah. And I mean, you saw it with Malkin. Like, I don't have any other way to say this for Gino, but Gino straight up went out to the market and kind of came back with his tail between his legs and realized like it's not as rosy out there as he thinks it might be. Like sometimes your your own perception of yourself may not be be right especially when you've never had to face that type of decision, right? Like I had to face that every single year. So I knew what my marketplace was immediately. And I knew that that first contract across the table, it might be the last one and I'm taking it. Right. I have to wonder for Kadri or Klingberg, if there were offers that they went, nah, it doesn't, that's not good enough for me. Yeah. And now you look back at it and think, Ooh, maybe they, I 
should have taken that because now you're circling back and like, imagine if Kadri ends up back in Colorado, you know, it turns into, well, I looked around all the market and I couldn't get anything else. So here I am again, guys, you know, <laughs> which yeah. everybody would be happy to have him back and all that, but um, it'd be a good bit of poker by Colorado in the first place. But like Scott, don't you get that impression that sometimes, you know, players just truly don't quite see what the marketplace really may be, or maybe their agents, you know, pushing a little harder than they think. And, and they get caught out like this. This is how value contracts happen for teams, isn't it? Yeah, uh, no, I think you're totally right. And I, and I think it's, you know, I mean, maybe it's, is it misreading the market or is the market unreadable? Like, I, you know, maybe that's maybe, a fair, yeah, fair point. Maybe it's, you know, I'm, I've talked to players in the past who have been like, I, I got some bad advice, right? Like I got, I, you know, my guy was saying, hey, go here, do this. And where he really wanted to go while he was doing that other stuff, his dream spot went to someone else. And I, yep. you know, had a conversation where he's like, I wish that hadn't happened. And you're like, okay. But, and, but I, you know, you're, the agent's job is to leverage his, you know, the best spot, the best situation, dollar term, all the things that a player is demanding of the agent. And maybe you demand something that the market can't deliver. And I, Mike, I think you're, and again, I don't know because I haven't talked to John or I don't know what Nazem Kadri situation is, but you're, you know, were there, were there offers or were there discussions early on that, you know, the, the, the thinking was we're not going to rush into this because we want to see what's out there. And then all of a sudden it was like, what's out there is, is not as enticing. And, you know, again, hard to drum up, you know, those, both John Klingberg and Nazem Kadri are elite players. They're going to get paid well, maybe not as much as they wanted or the term that they'd like. So, it, you know, temper the, you know, the, the empathy here. But it is interesting to me that both those guys are still out there. Because you and I talked, and I think we were of the same mind. I like John Klingberg in Carolina. And, of course, Brent Burns ends up there on a deal that, you know, it's really that's a good deal for Carolina. It's right? a really good trade for good Carolina. Good deal, right? It's not, and it's good for Brent Burns. And it's good for Brent Burns. And he you can and I, sit I think, sit down thought, in that five-six role. He doesn't have to carry the mail. Just clap one-timers all day long, like, <laughs> all day long. Just pound the box. Smart, smart, smart biz by Carolina. And I know you liked the idea of John Klingberg in Seattle, but Justin Schultz is there. You know, what's Seattle doing? I don't know exactly. I mean, come on, Ron, spend some dollars here, man. I, you see, like, I, 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 I'm a big, I like Justin Schultz and there's a guy, you know, here's an interesting thing. I'm not to go down the rabbit hole. Totally. You know, do you remember when Justin Schultz was in Edmonton and the I remember fans, when he was in Oklahoma city and <laughs> crushed him yep. in Edmonton. They could not, they booed him. He was, I remember talking to him. He got to Pittsburgh I don't know. If, did he, I, I'm trying to think how many. I have to look and see how many cups he won there. But Justin Schultz what, it was literally driven out. And I remember talking to him because he's very, very low key guy. And he's like, "Yeah, that was hard, right? Like that's that was a hard thing." And then he, you know, he ended up rediscovering his career. So I'm not saying I'm this is I'm not down on Justin Schultz, uh, but at this stage, I think John Klingberg looks better in your Seattle lineup than Justin Schultz does. That's my, that would be what I would say. Yeah. Uh, well, Schultz, I remember Schultz in Oklahoma city. He he had like the best 
year going for a defender in the, in the American League yeah. ever. This was a lockout year, 12-13. Um, and so, so that was when I was in the, with Peoria, and we had players like Jake Allen, Jaden Schwartz, Ian Cole. Like We had some damn good hockey players, and Schultz just crushed. Like Every power play that's going in the net felt like puck to him, and then it just didn't transfer in Edmonton. Edmonton from that era had so many players that didn't transfer. Like, I can't pinpoint exactly because I wasn't in their organization why they sucked at developing, but boy, they sucked at it. They had some really high picks and players that were really good that just it didn't work out there. And that's the way it was. But I, I thought that for sure Seattle would make a splash with somebody. I just, and, and not to just make a splash, like to legit make that team better, Scott. And they got good players. Like they signed good players. Great. But at some point, you, you, you got to get the legitimacy of your franchise with somebody you can sell some tickets for and put a nameplate on a jersey and get people to be excited about. Because right now the team doesn't have anybody special in that lineup that's going to bring people to their feet, man. Like it's just as is, right? Beignets, right? They're coming. I get it. They're coming. The New Year's, I, I apologize. But yeah, that's still a ways away for that to really sink in. So I don't know. Just surprised me a bit. I, the whole Klingberg back to Dallas thing was just, I was infatuated with that storyline. It's too bad it didn't happen. <laughs> well, it, it's so, I, here's it. I was, you, what about, you know, what about Nazem Kadri in Seattle? Like, the, it's got some money. like that's, you know, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see where Nazem Kadri ends up. I know yeah. this sort of notion of, anyway, I, you know, the Islanders are another team that has really been, eerily quiet um mm-hmm. this off season Padre <laughs> is so good he is everything a team wants it, he can go anywhere there is, like, yes <laughs> you and i could do an entire show listing every every single one of the 32 teams that would, would there be one or two you're like nah maybe that doesn't fit there but probably yeah. only that like that's that's how good he Wild, is isn't it? like what about and i just when i was looking through free agency the one that really caught my eye was Nita Ryder. you know uh, he's such a glue piece and an important checker score. You name it, he kind of does everything, right? And he's played really well for Carolina. And I think he's kind of gotten cap crunched out because he's in that middle class tier where you're going to be somewhere between, I don't know what his next deal will look like, but four to six million bucks, right? In that range, he made five to five last year. Like, I'm surprised somebody didn't snatch him up right away. You know, you see Eric Goodbranson go first day, bang, big deal. And, and that was this a is lot Dita. for Eric Goodbranson. Too. I know, but this is like, you know, that's a D. Niederreiter's a forward. I get that that's different, but it's, it's just, Scott, it's so funny how the market can pick and choose first and second day winners by perception. And now you got someone like a Niederreiter and Kadri Klingberg, even like Paul Stastny's still out there, who's yeah. puts up serviceable points. Like, they're just chilling, I guess, dude. Everybody else wants to go on vacation. So. <laughs> I know. Well, that's the thing, right? I talked to, I talked to, uh, Somebody from one of the teams, I said, hey, you know, what about your GM? Oh, he's he's out. <laughs> so okay, the lake, well. at the cottage. But, and I, you know, Nino, I, as you know, I spent a lot of time in Carolina this year. And, uh, you know, Nino Niederreiter had 24 goals, uh, played on a, he played almost exclusively with Jordan Stahl and Jesper Fast. The line was incredible, right? They complete shutdown line, generated offense. Jordan Stahl got really going in the latter quarter of the regular season. It was a really good line. I, and I will, I, I'm, here's my, here's the issue, I think. And I know that Nino Niederreiter's agent was hoping to lock something up before the playoffs. The problem is that he has struggled in the playoffs to be the big man that 
he has been during the regular season. I mean, he, he got four goals in 14 games. Mm-hmm. I think he got two in game one against Boston. Um, so I, he, that's, here's, that's my guess is that, you know, and now, you know, Carolina's got Max Pacioretty. They've got a couple of RFAs and, you know, there's a lot of moving parts in Carolina and you're right. I mean, he's a 24 goal guy. Who does not want a 24 will goal hit. power forward? Yes. Yeah. And he's All a good right. guy. He's re- like he's yeah. a really good guy. So happy for Patcheretti to go somewhere. Got they got him for nothing in Carolina. Um, that's unbelievable. The the shedding that continues from Vegas. What they've given up for nothing is a whole other story. But I want to ask you about the San Jose Sharks. This yep. team is. They, uh, to me, they were an absolute mess, completely no guide to that team whatsoever all season long. And I, and I think realistically, it probably just stemmed from not having management in place. But this has also been kind of years in the making with several bad contracts and very poor drafting developing. There's no way around that. Really yeah. poor. And um, you know, Doug Wilson's son was one of the heads of scouting. And you know, he's not there. He's been relieved of duty now. And Mike Greer comes in as the new general manager. There's still a coach to be hired. What's your sense on where San Jose's at, what they're up to, rumblings of where that franchise may be headed, especially having moved Burns out? Yeah, it's um, it's really unfortunate because they're a franchise that for – I mean, literally from the time they came into the NHL, they were the model of consistency, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they, you know, you know, never won a Stanley Cup, but every year was a, a competitive force and, and it's people wanted to play there. Um, you know, it didn't matter who was, you know, you go back to Daryl Sutter days coaching there. and You know, Pete DeBoer had a nice run, couldn't get him over the, the hump there, but it, it's always been that model franchise of, you know, you've got good players. You can attract good players. The it's a good organization. It's a great city in California. And, and it really has, it has, it's, it is like, if I can use my old 4-H days, it's like a garden plot that people stopped tending and it became (laughs) overrun by weeds. And now it is, it's, it's gone fallow. You cannot grow anything there now until you do, and a complete overhaul in that. And I can only assume that when Mike Greer got the job there, that that was his mandate, you know, like the, Oh my, I was just looking at their, you know, their, their roster is it's still a disaster, right? I mean, you've got Eric Carlson under contract through 26, 27 at 11.5 million. You've got Mark Edward Vlasic at 7 million through 25, 26 people are already talking next Got to buy him out next summer. Um, you know, you've the hurdle deal now doesn't seem to make any sense because you None. extend it didn't him make any at, sense. at eight million dollars a year to this long through age thirty six. To what end? And Logan Couture yeah. eight million dollars through twenty six, twenty seven. Like, I don't know where this team goes. Mm-hmm. They need new arena. It's. It is, they are going, they're going to be some very, very tough days ahead in San Jose. And I feel bad for the fans there, but it's going to take, it's going to take some hard, hard decision. I mean, in some ways, the Brent Burns, I talked to a number of people who were like, should have traded one of the other two defensemen. 
and kept Burns. But the problem is, no, you, oh. no market, there isn't that market for the other two, right? There just isn't. So you can't just wave the magic wand and make things go away. There were just too many fat contracts handed out in San Jose, period. Like, and I know that there's always a thought, well, it's a premium because it's expensive. And blah, like, they just didn't negotiate hard enough, honestly. Like, and, and there was no reason to re-sign Hurdle, especially with, you know, they didn't have a GM in place, basically, when they signed that deal for him. Yeah. And, and that's not the type of time to commit that type of money to a player when you've got hollow leadership at that moment. Okay. And so, and that's not throwing shade at people. It's just what should have happened. Like let them go get you. De- they desperately did drafts. Like they have, they've yeah. look how many players that they've put in the NHL in the last six, seven years, hardly any. Yeah. Like it's, it's, they haven't drafted well. And I understand they haven't had draft picks, but that's not an excuse, man. Like second, late round, late first round picks, second round, third round. And the biggest key is put, once you put them in the American League, put them in a place where they can succeed, you know, surround them with good players and, and let them grow. So I don't know. I, my career's got a challenge on his hands. I'm excited to see where it goes because it's still a good market and a good city. And, and, and there's going to be some pain there, though. And, and honestly, after the run they had, that's what happens. And you just got to deal with it as fans. You know, so yeah, I'm curious. See, but they have three goalies. They have three goalies right now. They got to move one over or something. <laughs> <laughs> they, should have, they may need more goalies. I don't know. They need a coach, and that'll be interesting too. That's and true. I, you know, to me, it looks to me this is a perfect situation for uh, you know Mike Greer to you know sort of step outside the box. And we saw it in in Arizona with uh, Andre Tournier coming in, uh, Bill Armstrong making that hire, and knowing you know Tournier comes out of the. Canadian junior program and the, you know, his international experience and in my sense mm-hmm. is very well liked there. And it has to be someone who can teach at a level that you probably shouldn't have to do as much teaching as the sharks are going to have to do. And they still, it's still a mess. It's, it's contractually, they are a nightmare. They, it's, that's not pretty. Yep. No. Yeah. Um, speaking of not pretty. Hockey Canada, oh, like it just, it, it's hard to, A, it's sometimes easy to forget we're rolling towards the rescheduled uh, World Junior Championships that were halted because of COVID very early in the tournament at, at uh, late December, early January. Um, it, it's hard to imagine this situation could get any uglier with the uh, settlement of the sexual assault lawsuit from back in 2018 with members of the Canadian national junior team that won gold medal. Um, every day now we, we, we move a little bit. I don't know whether we're moving forward, but players coming out trying who are on that team, trying to distance themselves from mm-hmm. the assault of this young girl, eight players involved like, how do you see this? You know, are we at some point just going to get to, you know, here's a list of all the players who've publicly said, I wasn't there, I'm not involved, and I, you know, took part in any investigation and will continue to do so moving forward so that there are only players left that we are then to assume were part of this? Or it's, it's such an ugly situation, and there are so many ugly legs to it. I, I don't know where it ends other than with a complete overhaul of Hockey Canada, which it, apparently it's an organization that needs that. Yeah, there's a whole lot of layers to this. And, you know, as far as the players themselves, which, I mean, 
it's crazy we're talking about the players first when there's a victim involved, right? That's yeah. first and foremost, but um, we are talking about hockey and ramifications and what that'll be. And, you know, you've got three groups of players. You've got that were on this team. You've got the group of players that have already come out and said, man, I, I had nothing to do with this. And then you've got the group of players who had nothing to do with it, but haven't said anything. Because probably out of loyalty to their teammates that they don't want to put them in that type of spot, but they're going to soon realize that you're going to need to say this or it's going to drag you around forever, that they need to come clear on this. And then you got the group who were implicated, who they can't, they say, so it's, it's process of elimination here. Yeah. And it's just at this stage of it, who's, who's next, who's coming out today. Right. And that's how it's going to go. And like, I wouldn't even be surprised if those that are implicated would say I'm cooperating with everything. I don't even know what to expect here, yeah. but um, you know, the free agency thing, like look at some of the players that haven't gotten deals, you know, that were on that team. Like you start to wonder if this is going to affect them, whether it is or not. So I just think that if there's anything that I really want to kind of get out there about this type of situation is that, man, I played junior, I played college. Like I've, I've been around, lots of things in this game in this world and i can tell you this that if you are a young adult a young hockey player and if your heart rate starts to get and get up and you get nervous in anything that you're doing stop doing it yeah when it comes to this type of stuff and if when there ends up being more than one-on-one consensual anything boy it can get out of hand real fast for everybody and end up being a completely regrettable situation that nobody ever wanted to have happen. And that would be my, if I had my kids, you know, if they're playing an older, like that's first thing I'm going to say, you can make your own choices, but do not do this. Do not get involved in this. This is not good for anybody. It never will be no matter how in the moment, it seems like a, a great fun idea. Yeah. It just doesn't end up like that, you know, and it's, I hope that this is yet another moment where people look around Scott and they realize we shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. So, a, yeah, I, I, I was, I was hardened having been in Montreal to draft and listen to NHL commissioner, Gary Bettman, you know, talk, I thought very passionately about the NHL's investigation into this and how it's not just paying lip service to wanting to appear to be interested I think the NHL really is going to drive the bus on this. We've already seen Hockey Canada mm-hmm. reopen the investigation. <clears throat> the sad part for me is I see lawyers now for the players involved who are now questioning the veracity of the victim's statements, uh, ish, you know, talking about consent. And it makes me sick when I think of the dynamics of eight players and mm-hmm. a young woman who apparently had had a lot to drink. And this is where the lawyers are going. And I think it's, I think it's shameful that that's the way that, that we're going down that path. Um, I did talk to a woman from the Canadian Women's Foundation. They, they were one of the organizations that received some of the sponsorship money that was pulled back from the World Junior Championships. And the thing that stuck out for me, I, I haven't written the story yet, but she, she explained how this, is, this kind of incident is a trigger for lots of people who've had things like this happen to them or been victims of sexual assault and haven't come forward. Um, Mm -hmm. So it, it may lead to more people, not with this specific event, but with their own personal experiences coming forward. She said, part of our problem was we don't have enough 
you know, people to answer hotlines and, uh, you know, uh, help centers, all those kinds of things. But this event that gets attention like this always leads to triggers for victims who haven't been able to come forward. And you just hope that maybe there's, maybe this helps people make a decision to come forward. Although the way it's playing out, I totally understand why so many victims of sexual assault remain silent because it's, right. It's a cesspool. And, and again, it just sickens me when I see the lawyers immediately casting aspersions on the victim and the veracity of it. That's, I think that's odious. So. One of my main areas uh, of study at school was law and economics and took several courses in it. And I, I loved, I found it fascinating. But without being a lawyer, without having gone to that type of school, you learn a lot about law within the, the confines of that. And, you know, these types of, whether they're civil suits, whether they're any type of investigation, like they very much just turn into a big shit fight. And it's just trying to make everybody look as bad as you possibly can. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, like, you know, does anybody really want anybody publicly to know that they were involved in this? Players don't, you know, and for a long time, you know, it appeared there you know the the victim declined to be involved early on right for these reasons and that's where it's just set up to fail for everybody involved yeah. right it feels like you know it's not a clean process it's questioning somebody's character and motivations and victim shaming beyond belief and and that's how you win court cases and that's how you get paid as a lawyer but yeah. it's gross man like it's not how that should be and i'm just my line in the sand here is I just really, really hope that this starts to wake people up, man, and just realize, just don't do this. Yeah. Be a good person. You know, you know like, just don't do it. No. Um, all right. Let's, let's talk. It's heavy. It's heavy, dude, but it, it's real. It's gotta man. Be, like, it's, and that it's, was just 2018, you know, like you're, you're not going to get away from this stuff anymore. <laughs> like, no. And I, you know, again, I, I it is, it's a cliche, but you know, some of what has happened here has shone such a bright light on what is a more, what is clearly a morally bankrupt organization. You know, the fact that hockey Canada has a fund that is funded in part by registration of, you know, if you're, if you were still in Canada playing or living and your girls were playing your, some of the money that you paid to register them with hockey Canada might've gone into a fund that paid that was part of a, an out of insurance settlement for this young girl. Um, again, these are, there are a lot of hard questions being asked of an organization that for years and years has, has really been, you know, sort of an iconic institution in the, in the country of Canada. And it's sad, but let's, let's keep looking and people who have been unable to do their jobs properly, unable to step forward, unable to do the right thing, then get out and hire people who can. And it's, a, you know, the cleansing is a hard part, but this is an organization that clearly needs to be cleansed and we're in it now. And I hope it doesn't, I hope the questions keep coming. Yeah, I agree with you, Scott. And it's pretty amazing to think of how the similarities are between major corporations that are known polluters that they'd rather pay the fine than they would, you know, <laughs> pay Address to have it taxed in first or get, the, yeah, get it, you know, like that was just the cost of doing business was knowing, Hey, you're going to get sued, be ready for it, have your slush fund. And you'd rather do take on the lawsuits than you would do the things the right way. 
Yeah. And that happens all the time in business, especially in the States, but it's that same line of thinking. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've seen it in hockey that this, you can't just sweep things under the rug. And nope. especially now everything's, it's amazing to think that, you know, they, they, they again, 2018, man. <laughs> Not talk, yeah. No, that's good. Uh, all right. Let's, let's end on a, on a more positive note. Please. Next week we'll wrap the season up. What are you, you know, what are you, what are you going to do for the next week? Are you looking forward to, what are you doing vacation wise? What are you thinking about? We, will we have a resolution to Kadri, Klingberg, maybe a new coach in San Jose? What are you, what are you looking forward to about the next week? Uh, you'd have to think that those guys sign within the next week. Cause then you really start looking at the GMs are truly at the cottages, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and you know, I remember talking to Paul Maurice a couple of weeks ago on Sirius XM when I was doing it. And we were really hoping that his phone connection would stay good from his cottage, you know, like <laughs> no internet even. Yes. Um, but I think those two get signed. I don't know about a coach at San Jose though. I, I think that might even be a quick process for Mike Greer coming in as GM. I think he may need a bit more time with that, but I'm looking forward to seeing more pictures of friends from their anniversaries because all hockey players get married in the same month span. Yes. And so those anniversaries are all coming. We're seeing the engagement pictures. Tyler Sagan just was recently engaged. His pictures, you know, were posted. And like, this is kind of a fun time to see your friends getting to be their true selves. Because we're not just robots. We're not just hockey players. I'm excited about that. And I'm excited to finish this trip. We're going to go back and see, you know, grandpa, grandma and papa and go to an amusement park and then Head back home to St. Louis for the rest of the scorching hot summer, Scott. So it'll be good, man. Are you going to stick around Atlanta? You got some more travel? I got some, uh, I got a couple of things to wrap up here, uh, work wise. And um, yeah, we're getting, you know, at some point we'll be uh, heading back to Raleigh in August to to drop our son off for uh, round two at NC State. So that'll be, uh, that'll be fun, but no, very, uh, pretty low key right now. But, Stinking hot here. Just I'm trying not to move too fast. So which at this well, stage, I, I feel I'm well equipped to do that. So anyway, I can see you out ripping a jet ski. I think that's your that's what you need. You need to buy a jet ski and just <laughs> remember that video of Tampa Bay Lightning getting down to the bubble with all the dudes on the jet ski. I could see you just burp, burp, burp. Yeah, coming maybe. in hot. <laughs> I, I own a golf cart, uh, so maybe I'll just drive Ooh. around and that, get the breeze going. So. Anyway, travel safely, my friend. Look forward to wrapping things up next week. As always, great chatting with you, and uh, and be well. Same to you. A yeoman's job by Scott Burnside, of course. And thanks to Lee and Horvin for helping us out, producing this. And we got one left, so we will talk to you all next week on The Suitcase and the Scribe. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.